If you can't wait a whole month for our next episode, you can join our Patreon membership for early releases and exclusive content for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash transgender school. And you can rent our 90-minute course, Transgender Allyship 101, where we reenact my coming out and teach you how to be a true ally to any trans person in your life at vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. Welcome to the Transgender School podcast, where we talk about diverse LGBTQ identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. I'm Bridget. My daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman when she was 19. I was totally unprepared, but I've learned a lot since then. When I came to terms with my identity, I realized that I needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now I want to help other trans people navigate their own experiences. Welcome to the Transgender School Podcast. We are so happy to have you with us, and we're incredibly thrilled to welcome our very special guest today, our friend and author, London Price. London Price is a queer author who loves writing books that focus on joy, which is not to say her work won't make you cry occasionally. And when she's not reading or writing, she can be found drinking tea, knitting gifts, or running 5Ks. She and her lovely wife have been married for 17 years, and they have two awesome kids. Welcome to the show, London. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your books. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so delighted to be here. And yes, my wife is trans, and she came out to me about three years ago. So we've been walking through the process of her coming out publicly a year ago and all the name change things and all that fun stuff. But because that's my personal experience, it just really flowed over onto my work. I was already an author of Sweet Romance uh, that was cisgender, heterosexual romance. But I really saw a lack when it came to queer romance of books that focused on joy. I would find queer books that I wanted to read, but it would have a trigger or content warning as long as my arm. And that just didn't appeal to me when there's already so much trauma and misunderstanding, I think, about queer things in the world that I just wanted to add joy and reflect the joy of our experience too, as well as kind of leave a path for others than kind of carve out a new niche in romance. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Well, I just want to say as a reader that I just finished the first book of your series, London, and I want to let our audience know how much I loved it. I loved how joyful and happy it was. It was a beautiful love story, but it also had a lot of lessons. I learned a lot that things about this unique romance world that maybe aren't things that I would want to break the boundary of asking my daughter about and have no business about in her life as a trans woman, but to be able to really feel the joy and the love. And obviously a lot of the work that we do, we see the discrimination and that we're talking about horrific legislation and the dark side of things. And you just brought such a ray of sunshine to my life in reading that book because everybody was supportive. It was a beautiful love story between a cisgender man and a transgender man and navigating important conversations and intimacy 
physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and to be able to have that inside look at it in a way that wasn't going to trigger any anxiety or upset as the mom of a trans person. It was just such a pleasure and a joy. And I thank you for writing from that perspective. Oh, and, yeah. And can you tell us the names of your books and where we can find them as well for our audience? Yes. So they are part of a series called the Portland Symphony Series. The first one is called Acoustics, followed by Harmony, followed by Overture. So they kind of have a, a music theme to them. Uh, and you can get them on Amazon and ebook, paperback, or uh, in Kindle Unlimited. So that's where I'm focused right now. But yes. Thank you. I'm so honored to hear that you loved it. And I'm so honored to hear that it was educational as well as informative, like as well as entertaining, because I do do a lot of research for the books. You know, I'm cisgender. So whenever I write about queer issues, I have to make sure that I'm being respectful and having good representation. So I always hire a sensitivity reader. I do a lot of research with books like Trans Bodies, Trans Selves. And just try to make sure that I am hitting all the right notes, if I can use a music metaphor, you know, and make sure that the emotions are true, as well as the kind of situations that sometimes trans people find themselves in. And I'm so curious about how your your personal experience relates to your writing and would love to hear as, as much as you're comfortable sharing about what it was like for you when your wife came out and, and how your own identity you know, your own sexual orientation may have changed or may not have and your own understanding of it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked. So we've been married for 17 years. It's actually 18. She told me this morning. <laughs> She's like, got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we got together in high school. We started dating when we were 17 years old. And I was attracted to her, uh, even though she was presenting as male at that time, partly because she didn't have those toxic masculine kind of traits because she was in touch with her feelings and very open and honest with me about things. And I just really, really valued that. We wouldn't learn that she was autistic until later when our son, we had our son and he had sensory processing disorder and they said, well, that's kind of genetic. <laughs> and we went, oh, sure. <laughs> and so that was kind of our first revelation about my wife. And then Three years ago, uh, it was more like th three years and six months ago, she heard a podcast called the, uh, On the Illusionist. And it was about trans people naming themselves because it's really hard to name yourself. Uh, <laughs> you think about how hard it is to name your kid who you don't know anything about. Try naming yourself and you know everything about. And she kind of had one of those, oh, damn moments where she's like, that's me. Like, that's the things that they're talking about with dysphoria and not feeling like you fit in. And some of those other things that many, many trans people have experienced. She's like, yeah, I feel that too. So I'm thankful that she brought me into the process about three years ago. We were on an anniversary trip and she just said, hey, you know, trans people? And I said, yeah, because there was no prelude to this conversation. And I said, yeah. And she said, I think I am one. And I said, oh. <laughs> and of course, my first question was, so do you like guys now? And she was like, no, no, total lesbian. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's very adorable in case you can't tell. But yeah, I did go through a big process after that of trying to make sure we still fit together 
you know, trying to make sure that just because we still loved each other on an emotional level, that we could still connect intimately, even though I'm more male attracted and attracted to men, all sorts of men, not just cisgender men. But yeah, it was really, it was, it took a lot of communication. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Into counseling together. And we just tried to be very open-handed with each other and say, what can I, what can I offer you? And what, and here's what I need. And just be honest with that, with each other about the fact that, yeah, we weren't sure if things were still going to work sexually, but we were going to try and it has worked. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. Yay. <laughs> our, our relationship. But one of the reasons I wrote the books was to show that relationships are very possible. And that if we have imagination and creativity and that good communication, that there's no reason why we can't stay married, at least for us. That was the path that we chose. So I'm extremely thankful for that because she's still my favorite person in the universe. She's still Mm. my best friend. And she's becoming more herself. She's becoming more the person I saw shades of, you know, for 14 years. And I love that person. (laughs) I love who she's becoming. And I love the new confidence that I'm seeing in her. And I love that she wants to take selfies with me now. Because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So forcing us to take selfies. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, here, more selfies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just those little things that are so joyful and such a privilege for me to get to experience with her. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I, thank you for sharing that. And I, I think it's so interesting to think about how you are creating content and media that represents you and your own relationship. And I wonder what it's been like, whether you think that there there is adequate representation of queer and trans relationships in romance, in, you know, media at large, um, and what it's been like to contribute to that. Do you do you hear often from trans people and their partners who who read your books and see themselves in them? Yeah, thank you for that question. I definitely think we could use more representation. When I go to the top 100 on Amazon in the trans romance category, it's still a lot of forced feminization kink. It's still a lot of things that just don't represent my wife or our relationship at all. And uh, we are starting to see things like A Lady for a Duke uh, by Alexis Hall, who's a a traditionally published author who just came out with that book. Um, the lights on Knockbridge Lane just came out through a major traditional line, and that's an MM romance by Roan Parrish, who's written queer romance independently for years, you know, but we're finally starting to see trad romance start to catch on to what indie romance has been doing. But I definitely would love to see more. Um, uh, and I'm a huge fan of things like Our Flag Means Death and uh which is a pirate show full of queer people in case anyone doesn't know, but things like that where care has been taken to represent trans people, their transness not as plot or as conflict, but just a part of who they are, right? A a part of the larger picture of who they are. And um, instead of making it about, instead of making it a point of contention, right? Or, Or a problem in the story, that it's just the beautiful casual representation that I think all crave. Nobody wants to have their identity made into the conflict of a book or a show. So yeah, I think there's definitely room to grow. There's lots of indie authors 
putting things out. Um, some of it's better than others, but there's people trying, you know. Um, Sky Killane writes a lot of uh, like trans and queer romance and A.L. Lester and Rianne Gray. And I'm friends with some of these people, I'll just be honest. But I, I mean, I see those kind of books coming out and it does give me hope. It does give yeah. me hope. There will be beautiful queer romance representation, just as there's a lot of cisgender romance representation uh, in the world. So I love yeah. to see it. Well, I I love it too. And I have to say, as a reader, this is the first time I've read this kind of romance story. And I really want to recommend it for everyone. I think for folks who identify with the characters, it can be very affirming and an enjoyable read. And for myself as a cishet person who's the mom of a transgender person, I learned a lot. You cover a lot of themes in your books and in a very sensitive and careful way, but yet you're kind of showing us how people navigate, for instance, conversations about intimacy, taking into account the potential for dysphoria to be triggered or what different people's boundaries are and how to make requests. And I love in the book Acoustics, in your book Acoustics, how the two characters navigate all of this very carefully and respectfully. And the cisgender character, the cisgender man who's entering into a relationship with a transgender man really models beautifully that he's doing his research outside of the relationship. He's not putting the onus on his trans partner to explain everything to him. So when he, when they are in those intimate moments, it's clear that he's done his research, but he also knows that every individual is different, is going to have different boundaries and needs and requests and things that turn them on and things that turn them off, just like everybody does, right? So you just show that so beautifully, London, and I really appreciated that. And you're modeling how to do it. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're a woman showing us two men having this conversation, right? It's this gender man and a trans man, but you're you're sharing their voices so authentically because it's about the emotion and the love and the connection and the respect and the and the navigating of those conversations carefully. Yeah. I love to hear that it touched you to to see that between them. Uh because I do think it's really beautiful. And to answer the other part of Jackie's question that I forgot, yes. yeah, trans men have reached out to me and said do you know how often the, the trans man in the relationship is the dominant person and the other person is the, the more passive person? Like, never. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was really empowering for them to see and read. And it just brought them so much delight to see someone like them. And parents of trans kids, like you, Bridget, have, have reached out mm-hmm. to me and how much hope it gives them and how it did help them kind of create a picture in their mind of what it will be like for their kids. And I think queerness is one of those strange things where it doesn't run in families necessarily. So it can be very hard for cis normative heterosexual parents to understand how queer relationships work and what it looks like and feels like because it is foreign to them. And mm-hmm. so I think work like this can kind of help bridge the gap a little bit and, and mm-hmm. say, look, here's a picture of what it could look like. Here's some modeling of what healthy communication looks like in sexuality and what um, healthy consent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that can, can be like for everybody, but also for queer couples. 
Yeah. And since you mentioned consent, I think you have some really important kind of subtle messaging in there about that, that really came through for me and reinforced how important it is to have those conversations. And there's a scene where there's a change in, there's a drunken moment basically where the consent question becomes blurry and it's handled very carefully. And it's clear that we don't cross boundaries no matter what. It doesn't, intoxication doesn't matter. That, that no means no, as we know. And if a conversation about consent has occurred in a sober state, that is respected 100% without any question, without question, non-negotiable. Uh, if it's going to be negotiated, it's going to be negotiated. So, or not negotiated, if it's going to be reopened, it's going to be sober and it's going to be a conversation. And, um, and, and that really brought up a lot of issues around consent that, you know, I know you both have being of younger generations seen tie into even how we're raising our kids and teaching us about those things, teaching our kids about those things. I'd love to hear both your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think consent is definitely an issue that's become more to the forefront in the last 10 years. And it is a learning curve uh, for those of us who are a little older. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I was a kid, if grandma wanted a hug, you had to give her one Mm -hmm. and couldn't, couldn't disappoint people. You know, and there was this strong pressure, I would say, even though I had parents who loved me and were fairly well, you know, emotionally informed, there was this strong pressure to not not let people down, especially in your family. And so I think that carries over for people into romantic relationships and can really damage the relationship. Because for Chance and Colby, when Colby pushes back and says, no, we said we weren't going to do that. Chance, once he sobers up, <laughs> feels really bad mm-hmm. um, that he do that now in the mm-hmm. light of day, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, very concerned that Colby isn't going to want to be with him anymore. And mm-hmm. Colby's like, what kind of weird relationships have you been in? We just needed to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. no, the fact that you stopped when I said no is fine. Like, that's all I needed from you. And so I think it's, it's a good chance in, for, to see consent at work in a really sexy, intimate way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be like kissing, yes or no, penetration, <laughs> right? No, right? It doesn't. It's not right. a limit that we go through, and it's going to change from day to day, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Too, especially for people with sensory issues, especially mm-hmm. for people which many trans and cisgender people have sensory issues if they're neurodiverse. And my wife's neurodiverse. So mm-hmm. I had some experience with too, but I would love to see consent be more natural for people and for yeah. them to feel like that's a given, you know, it's a given that we ask questions and don't assume. And yeah, after 17 or 18 years, it is hard not to assume sometimes that things are okay, but to believe them when they say that it's okay. You know, believe them when they say on one day that it's okay and another day that it's not. And that consent actually builds trust and intimacy, right? It doesn't break it down. It's what allows us to be our genuine vulnerable selves because we know that our thoughts and our feelings are valued. So I think it's really important. Exactly. Such an interesting dynamic. And obviously, you know, issues of consent can always be issues in queer relationships. But I do think there's 
something about queer relationships that that forces a level of communication and and by extension a level of consent that often doesn't happen in in more straight spaces and even outside of romantic relationships like the example of you know hugging the grandparents or like who is or isn't allowed to touch you like one thing that i was never aware of until i transitioned and came out was that older women would if you present as a younger feminine presenting person older women will just be comfortable, like putting their hand on your shoulder or like, oh, what's that tattoo? Let me see like it. And I, you know, it, I'm sure this is worse if you're pregnant or other things, but it's just. Oh, <laughs> I'm a million. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are some of these cultural norms, right? That we just don't, we haven't adjusted yet to those things. And I will say that definitely being pregnant, people felt I was public property and it didn't feel great. I certainly didn't build my relationship with those people unless it was somebody I was really comfortable with ahead of time, you know, but yeah, people just come up and put their hands on your belly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so far as to wear t-shirts. with. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I know London that you, that also crosses over for you into boundaries that you establish with people. Like if they're coming to your home or if you're right, tell us more about that. Cause boundaries are important. Consent is part of healthy boundaries, right? Yeah. And I think with queer relationships, since you're sort of throwing out the cis, cisgender heteronormative playbook, you, you can redefine some of those things for yourself. And I know even for my wife, our gender roles changed when she mm -hmm. came out. I've never liked mowing the lawn, but I felt like I had to because that's what people did, right? And because she has grass allergies anyway, it didn't make any sense for her to be the one who did that. So I'm like, okay, cool. I will take that on. If you want to do X, that's totally fine, you know, and, and let's shift things around and try mm -hmm. to spread out the work, but let's spread it out in an affirming way as much as we can, you know? And like you said, when people come over to our house, we're both introverts. And so we just tell them there won't be any group games. We don't do group games. And if you want to stay for a few minutes after dessert, that's fine. If you're still here at nine or 10, then you weren't listening because <laughs> dinner, it's not, it's not a whole night. And we, we did have, we started doing that actually after we had some people who came over and they came late to the mm -hmm. dinner, like up to bedtime. And we're both like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yes. Right. And and we don't have any problem as a culture saying, oh, I have food sensitivities or, you know, I don't care for this kind of cuisine. But why won't we try to make people comfortable on a social level and say, just what are your expectations here? Here's our expectations. Here's what we would enjoy the most and say, it's this, you know. So I think the more we can grow in terms of asking and communicating boundaries and preferences, I think it does help our relationships to be healthier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And you've inspired me. I'm going to think more about like, what do I need and how can I communicate that? Because I think our age differences, you're right, kind of right in the middle of us, London. And so you're talking about some things that for my generation, we just didn't have really anybody modeling and being aware of neurodiversity and, and, all of the issues that we're talking about now. And so for me to hear you sharing about just really being honest with people about what you need and your unique way of being in the world and how they can support that, it's really inspiring to me. And Jackie does that naturally. I think her generation and the information that we have, they, they're 
I think not not everyone of her generation, but I'm glad to see that Jackie does that very naturally and very confidently. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's influenced my books, too, because I have a character who has ADHD in the second book. She's the sister of, of Colby from the first book, and she's a fairly successful woman, but she has all these things in her life that kind of don't add up. And she really struggles to be organized. She really struggles to keep her house clean. She really feels very deeply when she's rejected. And Mm -hmm. all these little things kind of add up to ADHD, but she doesn't want to be honest with herself about what her boundaries are and what her limits are because she should be able to do these things. No, I'm successful. I can't have a disability right? I don't, I don't have a disability. Don't say I have a disability because I'm in college. I'm succeeding in college, you know? And for her, those things didn't go together. And I think for many, many women, it's hard to see our neurodiversities because of the roles that we've been cast in. And it's not until, at least for me, it wasn't until I became a mother that I started to realize, well, I did almost fail an econ class <laughs> because it was self-study and I had to pace it and I couldn't. I tried so hard. I was arguing with my parents for the first time in my life because I would sit down and I could not organize myself. I could not make myself do it. And I didn't understand why at the time. I just knew that I couldn't. And so they literally had to sit with me. They literally had to write out a schedule, you know, of of when I was going to get things done and hold me back from other things I wanted to do because otherwise it was just impossible. And Knowing more about ADHD now, I get totally why I couldn't do it. But at the time, it just seems like this weird thing, you know, this kind of anomalous thing. And so I love that neurodiversity, especially in women, is becoming more known. I think it's a positive thing. And books like How to Keep House While Drowning have really helped me. (laughs) ADHD for smart-ass women and these things where I've learned more about myself. So it was really fun to be able to put that in Hillary's book and have her kind of walk a similar path. And I had people with ADHD reach out to me and say, mm. Oh my God, I've never read a character who sounds so much like me in my head, you know, and <laughs> because she can be a little bit chaotic in her narrative when she's talking about things. She goes on little tangents when she's telling the story and mm-hmm. um, is very close to what happens in my head. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're bringing in so many characters with so many rich experiences and aspects of their identity that we get to see and we love them all. They're all wonderful. You know, it's not, it's not this tragic situation where people are not able to, as you say, have love and be successful in their lives and live their lives, you know, and, and enjoy their lives. So I love that you do that in each story. It's just expands the world of characters and all the different diverse experiences that we can learn from. One of the things that I really want to say about your books, because I want everybody listening to really consider reading your books is for parents. A lot of our listeners and followers are parents. And I just want to make the point and hear what you two think, you know, about being clear about this is a great way for us to see inside some people's experiences to keep us from being intrusive in our kids' lives. Just because I'm reading these novels doesn't mean I'm going to go to Jackie and ask her about these questions. Like, for instance, when I was reading your book, I needed to Google some of the terms. You know, I learned some new terms about sexual 
activities and partnerships. And for me, that was really exciting because I just want to be as educated as I can and as aware as I can. But I want to urge parents to not then bring that to your kids and cross those boundaries of honoring their private lives and their sexual lives, which people usually don't want to share with their parents. So I don't think it's a matter of why I shouldn't be reading this because I'm a cishet person. It's a matter of honoring and respecting boundaries. And this is a way to learn if you're curious for the right reasons, just to understand, but not to be nosy or intrusive in your kids' lives. And I just wanted to make that really clear because I do think it's a great, I do think it's a great genre for parents of trans kids to read, to learn in that way, but not to use it as a means for being intrusive or like, oh, now I know all these things and I'm going to ask my kids about them. No. (laughs) Any thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) It's not a conversation they want to have most likely, right? There's that, like you said, that boundary where kids want to have their own things, but also totally natural for parents to be curious, right? And say, how is this different from my experience? And I don't know how it's different. So it is a chance to peek in a little window of how it might be different but also how it's the same, right? And and that goes back to the emotions of the book, that even though my wife is trans, a lot of the emotions of this trans man are similar. And the conversations they have, you know, can be similar in some of the struggles or victories or what have you. Yeah, I do think it's a cool resource for parents who are curious. And again, I'm cisgender, but I use I use those sensitivity readers and our creators and things to help me make sure I'm getting it right. And I do think it can be a source of hope for people because, you know, most parents are cisgender heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Kids. So it is, it is fun to see those models for them. I think of how things could be. Exactly. Exactly. Any thoughts on that, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those things where at least when it comes to boundaries, it's, it's not that different for trans people or cis people. Like I, I know that before I was married and in a long-term relationship when I was dating, I probably shared more than some of my peers might have shared about my relationships with you, but I also shared a lot less than I'm sure some of my other peers share with their parents about their relationships. So I think it's very subjective, very person by person, and just about having those conversations, setting those boundaries. This is what I don't want to talk about. This is what I'm comfortable talking about and respecting that mutually. Exactly, exactly. Well said, everyone. And so what have we left out? Jackie and London, there's so much to say about London's wonderful books. Please read them all. London, I think you also have short stories and some other fun, different types of genres that you could share with our audience. Yes? Yes. So in the same series, if people enjoy Overture, there's an epilogue called Tremors about Colby and Chance going up to Seattle to meet Colby. Chance's Nana. It's kind of like coming to meet the parents, you know, kind of thing. But there's an earthquake that kind of shakes them up and shakes, going to see Nana shakes up their relationship already. So it's a nice metaphor, but that's a bonus for newsletter subscribers. If people want to do that, they can get it for free. And then I also have two short stories. One is FF Erotica with a trans woman and a cisgender woman, and it's called The Birthday Present. And when my friends read it, they were like, I didn't know erotica could be funny. (laughs) 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 That goes back to just my whole goal is real romance and unreal world. You know, that this, that real people laugh when they're having sex sometimes because it's fun. (laughs) Like, is that just me? I hope it's not. Yeah. (laughs) 
sex can be weird and wonderful and ridiculous. And it's all of those things sometimes. So yes. that's called the birthday present. And then the other one is called an hour of need. And it's a historical non-binary cisgender woman short story. Whereas most of my work is MM or is male male. So Overture is Acoustics, the first book, Cisgender Man, Trans Man. The second book, Non-Binary, Cisgender Female. And then the last one, Trans Man, Cisgender Man. Uh, And then the next book actually will be Cisgender Man, Cisgender Man, but it's a parent of a trans kid. Uh, So I'll be reaching out to you maybe to see if you want to give that a look for me. But Definitely. I'm in. As part of the trans experience, right? Of like being a parent of trans kids. And I'm going to try to bring as much joy to that book as I can. So that would be great. I love that. And thank you for writing about so many experiences and sharing so many different perspectives between gender identity and sexual orientation, neurodiversity and music. There's such a beautiful thread of, of the joy of music and everybody's involved in some way in Portland. I know it's like in, how do you say, homage to your hometown, right? You feel that in there as well so many themes and so many important messages. And we're so grateful to you for coming on the podcast to chat with us about it all. Is there anything, London or Jackie, that we've left out that you want to share with our audience? I just want to say thank you again for coming on. And and if you could name the series one last time and remind people where they can get your books, that would be perfect. And your website. Yes. So it's the Portland Symphony series and they're called Acoustics. Harmony and Overture is the three main books in the series so far. And it's London Price Books at WordPress.com. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, that way you can get freebies and you can find out about new things that are coming out. And actually, I have another short story that's coming out for Valentine's Day. So that'll be in a giveaway too. That one's called Solo. And it's non-binary and cisgender female in that one but it's a side character from harmony who just kind of stuck in my brain and wouldn't let go (laughs) but yeah all my books are on amazon you can grab them there and kindle unlimited and i would love for you to check it out thank you so much for having me this has been really really fun Oh, our pleasure. Thank you for being here. And I can't wait to read all of your work. I loved acoustics and I want everyone to go out and get all of London's books and read her stories and make sure you're signed up for her newsletter. And we're so grateful to you for your work and for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. Oh, totally. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 